just stay standing for a moment. It's a bit old school. We've got Wayne Huey on the uh, keyboards. and Him and I uh, started doing this way back in a place called Wanganui uh, many years ago. And he said, I'm on with you today. <laughs> and so he said, this is old school. We're really going back old time. Amen. But I, how about just lifting your hands? Because I do want to pray. Um, you know, this is a difficult session in the afternoon. Some of you, some guys over to my right, I won't tell you who, said they're jet lagged and they challenged me to keep them awake. Um, but anyhow, it's a, the afternoon session. Let, let's really believe God can turn up. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now in Jesus' name, just for just a deposit of your presence. We know that you are the one that really changes our life. But Holy Spirit, we just want to acknowledge you now as the one who empowers us. And you are here to do something significant. I pray through what I, uh, you place in, my, placed in my heart, I can shift something in others. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, take a seat, everyone. It was always a, a, a great joy. I love shout. I love what God's doing. Uh, just through the connections of uh, uh, churches around the world, just to see different people here, Holy Spirit moving. And uh, what I want to do is just, just take you on a little journey uh, I was in Wellington with Jordan and John O'Brown for his induction. And before I went there, I said to my wife, who I, we often offer, uh, operate a wee bit like, she becomes a prophet, and I listened. I said, oh, do you have something on your heart for Wellington? And she just straight away just turned and she said, magnify magnitude and multiply. And then just turned away and just started carrying on as Helen does. And I thought, oh. And so I really had preached it that day, not really uh, just understanding that it was a prophetic sound. But the more I've gone on, I've actually believed that she's really touched something in God. And I believe today, and I've spent, mentioned a couple of times in different churches, but I want to stretch it out today for a leadership session because I believe we're in a, in a, a, a moment where we really do need to let God change something inside us because the situation around the world is not going to change unless we change. Amen. And so I, I'm quite deliberately want to move down that track uh, just for a few minutes today. Um, I remember uh, towards the late 90s, uh, I was still pastoring the Auckland church and Wednesday was always what I call my God day and I would just stay home um, and I would pray. If I needed to catch up on some sleep, I might have done that. I don't know, I think so. <laughs> but anyhow, in the day, that our phone went, and uh, the, on the end of the call was someone I didn't know, she, and she just responded, and she said, oh, hello, dear. And I didn't really know what I was in for. And she said, I'm just ringing. She said, uh, I, I, I want to know whether you know a person who's real in my life. And I said, oh yeah, tell me more. She said, I, 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 many years ago as a young woman, I, I met a man by the name of Jesus. And he transformed my life. And, uh, and I just let her talk just a little without going into all the detail. And I said, oh man, that's amazing. She said, I, I, I said, I'm a Christian. She said, oh, that's so wonderful, dear. She didn't know how old I was, and I didn't know how old she was. And, she, uh, and I said, oh, could you tell me your story? And she said, she said, I've been on the missionary field for 40 years in Africa. 
She said, I've come back. I now live in Auckland. And she said, I, I, I never lost the sense of God's call. And every day I open up the phone book and I just go through and at random, I pull out names and I ring them to tell them about Jesus. Because she said, I'm still a missionary at heart. And uh, I said, oh, wow, that, you, you, you know, that's just so moving. And I said, oh, would you mind telling me your age? And she said, oh, I, I'm 93, dear. <laughs> and and I, I remember that story so clearly because, you know, he was a 93-year-old. And just to authenticate it, I went to, to, to our staff and I told them the story. A week later, she picked out one of our staff and they got the same phone call. And it was sort of like God was authenticating that the call of God doesn't stop with age. It doesn't stop with your position. It doesn't stop with your location. It really is something that God defines. He puts in your heart and you can't move away from it. It's really what God has placed in you. And I believe we need to see that generation rise up again where there's people who are really moved by the touch of God. You know, just in testimony, before I just give you a, a little wee bit of what I want to share. Today, I had Helen's father here. He was sitting up on our le- uh, right over here. And I just thought, you know, quite moving, really. He's 94. And he stood there, and he got in the jive, I can tell, because he's a bit of a character. And then he had his hands up, and he was clapping. But I thought for a moment, and it did bring a little tear to my, to my eye, you know, we have four generations in shout. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Here is this old guy, and then this, this old guy, and you know Sam because he's up the front, but, and then there's all my grandchildren and very actively involved. And I think, you know, ne- never, never underestimate the power of the call of God and what God wants to do in transforming your life. Perhaps you're first generation Christian. Never underestimate what could be. Never underestimate the why people are looking at you right now, even if you're a second generation Christian, because they're looking at you to see how your life really will matter. As a young Christian, I was really taken by reading biographies. I love to read about men and women of God who'd changed their world. I read stories about a man by the name of George Muller, who was responsible for orphanages in Bristol in England. And they estimated something like 300,000 people came out to his funeral in the 1800s. You think about it. You don't get even that today in a lot of places with multimedia. Then I loved reading the story of the Wesley brothers. and Everyone was different. Charles Finney, William Booth. I, I read his story, Salvation Army. and I was so moved because... He was to preach in East London and he had a colleague who went with him that day and his name was someone Monk. <laughs> and just reading, you know, wow. There was someone back there, formation of the Salvation Army, who God was inspiring, carried the same surname as me. And I always thought, you know, in reading those stories, and, I, and I'm deliberately doing this, I never wanted to be like them because everyone's got their own stamp. Everyone's unique. But the testimony of men and women of God who've gone before and changed their generation mobilize you to keep walking 
Because the power of God through them is the same power that God who wants to work in you. And I believe we need to right now, God, God is touching this generation. Uh, I was up in that little box here and they were interviewing Helen and I and they asked a, a question. They said, you know, if you, you were to have a legacy statement, what would it be? And I have thought about it. Stupid, isn't it? I've thought about it. What would I like on my tombstone? <laughs> I thought about it. Has anyone else thought about what they'd like to have written on their tombstone? I have. And I thought about it a long time ago. But the, the statement I'd like, so I responded really quickly and Helen knew what she wanted, but what I'd like to see written on my tombstone is that he inspired another generation. Because if we can't transfer to another generation what God's put in us, like the writers that I read, somehow their testimony, their story mobilized me even though I've never met them in human. And today I'm here because I wanna put something in you. That life is not here just to be played with, life is here for you to be challenged to pick up what God has placed in you and to take it to a broken humanity that can never be defined or never changed without an encounter of God like we saw in the last session. And I believe that God is looking for that generation right now to arise. Scripture found in Psalm 32 verses eight to nine is really a scripture that I've often thought about, and I want to use it as a little bit of a platform for us today, because it's a story, if you read Psalm 32 and you go through it, there's two Psalms in the Bible that talk about the redemptive touch of God on David after he'd sinned with Bathsheba and he'd had Moriah killed. And one is Psalm 51, which is the well-known one, but Psalm 32 is another one and it just really talks about how David's life at the start, he'd hidden away some secrets as though no one else knew about them. And actually, he, he says in the psalm, he says, my, my, my heart became like a withered, dried up patch. He said it was as though there was no life in it. But then he comes to this amazing passage of Scripture, he writes, he's writing in context if you read it. And he says, he's talking about God, and it comes into the God statement. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you, I will guide you with my eye upon you. But then he gives sort of like a parallel. He says, never be like a horse or a mule which has no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else it will not come near you. Now what that particular passage of Scripture is saying is God, God wants to guide you with His eye. I, I, I don't know what that really looks like. <laughs> you know, has God got one big eye in heaven and He's looking down? No, you're gonna, you, you can get sort of a, use your imagination if you want to. But it says, don't be like a horse or a mule. But I take Willie, you know, if you just come here for a moment, Willie. 
I think a lot of Christians, if you just turn around and just imagine that I've got, this is, he's got a bit and a bridle on him and, you know. <laughs> a lot of Christians want to be led like that. They want a bit and a bridle in their mouth. God, if, if you don't pull me out of this, it must be all right. If I meet a nice girl for Yosie Younger and, you know, you don't stop me, God. <laughs> I'll just do what I feel like. If credit card, doesn't matter what it is. See, see God will never pull you out of anything. God guides you with his eye on you. He wants to direct you. He, he's, he's, not, he's never gonna compel you. He's never gonna put his arm up your back and make you do something that you have no free will to respond to. And David was actually almost, I think he was analyzing his own situation. Oh God, you didn't pull me out of it, so I just went away with my emotions. But then he learned that God never works like that. God actually works with people who are convinced, people who build conviction, and people who walk with confidence. And it doesn't matter what environment they're in, they don't need God to pull them out because they hold a conviction of what is right and what is wrong. And I wanna say that's the generation that God is right now touching in the church of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter, we, we'll all fail and fall at some point. But God wants to put, and that's where I'm with you to, here today, God wants to put conviction in your heart. God wants to put conviction in you of what is right and what is wrong. God wants to put a conviction in you in the way you should walk, the way you should lift your head, and the things you should do. God wants to put a conviction in you. If someone opposes you, you know how you're gonna stand. God wants to put conviction in you. He wants you to walk with a confidence, not an arrogance, but He wants you to walk because His eye is upon you and He's looking at you and He's guiding you and directing you with His Holy Spirit present. But I think sometimes in the church of Jesus Christ in the West, we're being robbed. That's why I want to just work around these three words of hell and the word magnifying. In Psalm 34, verse three, we sung the other night that old song, which I must say I was the inspiration of, which would really surprise you <laughs> that I inspired someone to write a song. But it was written, came out of when we were in London and I was talking to Dan Zeltner and my son James and I, said, I just said to them, well, why don't you write a song around Psalm 34? And that's the psalm song they came back with. And it's always been a moving song because simply it's a uh, scriptural song. But part of it in the, in the New King James Bible, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. If you were to take the word magnify, I know as a young Christian, the word magnify for me was to lift up my heart and my hands and praise, I magnify you, Jesus. I magnify, I lift you up. I just glorify you because of my praise and my worship. I wanna honour you today. But really that in its sense, and this is, please just stay with me for a minute, is very limited. It's a very limited understanding of what David was actually saying. 
He wants you, to, you and I to not just magnify him through our praise, but actually magnify him through our, our life, who we are. He, want, he, he wants you somehow to be his magnifying glass. He wants you to somehow make him look good in a broken humanity. He wants you, as we heard before, he wants you to stand up and he wants you to stand out. Amen? Doesn't mean you're gonna be flawless or perfect, but he calls you to magnify him. I wanna use a scripture now just to help, probably help you to understand what I mean. It's a well-known scripture. How many are good at memory verses? Put your hand up if you're good at a memory verse. That's something the church doesn't really get into today. Probably not a bad thing to get into. If I said Romans 3, verse 23, how many would know what it is? Romans 3, put your hand up, right up. Not good, you know, not good. Romans 3, 23. I'll start it, see if anyone can go with me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if you were to break it up, I'm not a Greek scholar, but if I was to break it up, especially using Strong's Concordance, (laughs) which is my help, the word sin literally means, literally means to miss the mark. That's literally what it means. I wonder whether the church has taken the word sin and it's almost like we have made it a a cop-out term because we say sin, now I'm really gonna get at you. (laughs) We say sin is anger. Sin is adultery. Sin is fornication. Sin is selfishness. They are all accurate. Anyone who's involved in that falls short of God's glory. But if it was literally to take the word and say, this is my mark in life, and I'm walking down here, I've got a mark, God's got got a purpose for my life. God's got a purpose for my life. So I'm talking to leaders now. I'm not talking to you as though you've committed anger or sin or idolatry. I'm not accusing you of fornication or anything like that. But I wonder whether because of our understanding and how we've taken the word, we've actually missed something. We've missed something. Because really, in pure definition, the word sin is to miss the mark. And if you really take the scripture a little further, it means we fall short of his glory. So we don't look the way we should do. (laughs) We don't look the best. We don't stand out the way we should. We don't magnify Jesus the way we should. We're actually falling short of what God has destined for our life. I wonder, I just wonder, I'm just putting to you. I wonder whether we might repent a little more (laughs) if we actually understood (laughs) that God has a destiny for yours and my life. He's got a path, He's got a platform for you and I to stand on. 
I actually don't want to stand before Jesus and stand before him and say, Bruce, you, had, you lived a good life, but boy, I had a path for you to walk down. I had a destiny, but you missed it. You missed it. You fell short of my glory where I wanted to glorify, I wanted to be glorified through your life. You missed it. says of Jesus, it says, and the Word became flesh. In, in John chapter one, verse 40, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says, we beheld His, what? Come on, we beheld it. Say it with me, keep awake. We beheld His what? What do we behold? His glory. And it says, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What did they behold? Did Jesus come in among them and he had a halo over his head? Wow, there's Jesus. No, he took on humanity, he chose. When he came among the people, he was able to glorify his Father in heaven. There was something that stood out in the life of Jesus. And that's leadership. Leadership is really finding the mark that God has for your life. Finding the mark and say, with all I can, I'm gonna follow that mark. I'm not gonna miss something of the glory of God. I, I, I wanna achieve the best that God has for my life. It's almost like the truth. We, we, we're like Jesus, and I, I love doing this because I, I, it does something for me. I'm coming among you. Jesus came among us. He came among us. He got in with the people, Ravi. He got right in the middle. Got right in the middle. He lived among the people. He was full of grace and truth. There was something of the Word of God that started to live in the middle of broken humanity. You say that's Jesus, but that's the church. That's the church. The church is not just an add-on. We're, we're here, you guys. You're young, but God's put something in your heart where He wants you to rise up, even in your usefulness. That you've got something to manifest of the glory of God. You're full of grace and truth. It's like God's Word has come alive. Whether you're at school or wherever you are. And I think Jesus left an amazing standard for us to follow. But so often what we do is we make something religious and we miss it. The second word is magnitude. Magnitude is the size or extent of. In the Bible, I thought I'd just quickly do something and look it up. It's never used in the English Bibles, the word magnitude, for my looking up. But what is used is multitude. So just to give you a little understanding, just lift your head for a moment. I loved how many liked it when Dr. Patrick Dixon turned the stage into his yacht. How many liked that? I love that. He, he, he really acted that out so good. And he was looking up at the stars. And Have you ever done that? 
You know, my, my, my little brain, multitudes of stars. But who, could, who, who can comprehend the magnitude of heaven? <laughs> we can number the stars. Oh, no, we can't. <laughs> but there's multitudes of stars. But the magnitude, sometimes as a farm boy, I look up into the sky and the formation of Christ in my life, and I think, do you know, that just doesn't end. <laughs> it doesn't end. <laughs> if there's something there, there's something on the other, it just doesn't end. And I thought, oh, I can't think like that. Just stop, Ruth. Because <laughs> the magnitude, the magnitude. But in a way, we'll never change society until number one, we understand the magnitude of what is before us. We can never achieve it, we can never do it. My wife right now is running the children's program for Shout. We runs it for Auckland. I'll tell her story because I think it's a powerful story. She's 68 in three days' time. Shout children's program has 500 kids in it. A lot of people think, what are you doing looking after kids? I'll tell you why she's looking after children. Because she would be at home and she'd say, Bruce, I'm just so concerned for the children. I'm so concerned that kids are being entertained and not given the opportunity to let their lives be transformed. Somehow I just, I, I, I just it was like, like God was putting a weight in her. God was putting a weight in her. She's beginning to pick up something of the magnitude of what was before her. And then she very, should I say foolishly, <laughs> said to Sam one day, said, Sam, Sam I, I'm really concerned about the kids. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, perhaps I could come and help and I could just help the leaders. He said, you're it, mum, you're taking over. <laughs> that was the end of it. <laughs> it was done, it was a done deal. It was signed, bang, boom. And she stood back, no, 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 you're it, mum. <laughs> Only he could do that with her. Today, she's here looking after 500 kids. She's trained up leadership. She's got a team of 90, 90 helpers. I said to her, you know, because this is a God thing, you'll never have to request people to help you. She's got people lining up, wanting to be on her team. She never has to appeal for children, people to, for the children's department in the Auckland Church. They're just lining up because they know they're gonna be discipled. They know that they're gonna get mission in their heart. God's gonna do something special, amen? But what did it come from? It came from a burden. It came when she identified the magnitude of a problem, the weight of the problem. Rather than just looking at it, she let that weight get in her spirit. Come on, I'm prophesying to people in this room right now. Come on, leadership is not, I'm a leader. <laughs> I'm a leader. How come no one's, no, I'm a leader. How come no one's following me? No, 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 you're not a leader. And no one's following you. <laughs> Where does leadership really begin? It really begins when you pick up the magnitude, the weight of the problems around us. You realize that God's given you a mark to hit. 
You're here to call by Jesus to magnify him through your life to glorify him. You walk with confidence knowing that God's eye is upon you. God's eye is upon you. You don't walk around feeling as though you're feeble and frail, but you walk with a sense that your head is up, your heart is alive, because God has put a weight into your spirit. And if God ever puts a weight in your spirit, I know I'm getting a bit passionate, but if God ever puts a weight in your spirit, the magnitude of His grace will go, whoa, I'm going on that. And that's where Ephesians chapter one just says in Him, we have redemption through the blood, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which he has lavished, say lavished. Come on, say lavished. What's lavish mean? Come on, what's lavished? It's not, it's not just a little drip. It's like, he looks down at Jacob and he says, Jacob, Copenhagen, the mark. I now lavish you with my grace. I'm gonna empower you to do what I've called you to do. You're not gonna stand alone. I'm gonna lavish you with grace. I'm gonna put my grace into your life. But, but you imagine if, if you miss the mark. It's all about you doing what you think you could do. You never know the empowering grace of God that helps you to break out from being normal to be supernatural, to knowing the power of God's presence. What God is doing with equippers around the world and different people, I stand back and I just say, this is the grace of God. Amen. God's moving. God's moving. Every single one of us, God leaves a place where we need His grace. Every single one. God loves your ability, but He's just left a place in you where you need Him. You need His grace. When you touch His grace, something of the empowering presence of Jesus takes over your life. And that's where it goes into the third part of what I share. He'll multiply. He'll multiply. He'll go way beyond what you could comprehend or understand or think or see. There's a scripture I love, and I'll just put it up, and then we're going to pray. In Acts chapter 11, it talks about the early churches, verse 22 to 23. Just says, the news of these things came to the church in Jerusalem. God was doing. God was moving. Just says, and they sent Barnabas to go to Antioch. And it just says he came, just underline this, he came. When he came and had seen, what did he, what did he see? Come on, what did he see? He saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God working in the church of Antioch. He was glad. He encouraged them that they, that with purpose of heart, they should continue in the Lord. What did he see? 
The grace of God. The grace of God. Not human ability. Not human ability. He saw people. I love Jordan, but he's, he's like me. I know him well. The grace of God is not attracted to the people who have all ability. Even though the Apostle Paul was a very intellectual man, God left a place in his life where he needed the grace of God. He needed the grace of God. I think they saw when Barnabas come in, he saw the grace of God of salvation. But he saw the grace of God working in people's lives like you and me. Amen. God using just normal people. Isn't that wonderful? Normal people. Just normal people. Just normal people. Just normal people. Come on, just normal people. This is leadership. Come on, this is leadership. Just normal people. Come on, can I say it again? Just normal people who needed His grace. And then God just looks down from heaven and He says, wow, I like that. (laughs) I think I could multiply that because that represents me. I'm not gonna multiply something that doesn't represent me. Amen? Sometimes we're praying for God to grow the church and God looks down and says, I don't want to multiply that. (laughs) And we wonder why our church doesn't grow. Come on, pastors, listen to me. I don't think it's rocket science. Perhaps there's more need to get on our knees (laughs) and say, we need your grace. And then God looks from heaven. Isn't that amazing? He looks from heaven, he looks down and thinks, wow, I think I I can touch that. I'll multiply it. It starts to multiply because it glorifies Him. Something of His presence goes on to it. Amen. What could it be like in another 10 years' time? A lot of you guys will be old like me. How will your spirit be? Will you put your arm around another generation? Would you put your arm around a generation below that? Or are you all about yourself? There's so many people my age right now who are just living in houses, who have served God, who are lonely because they never knew how to put their hand around another generation and mobilize another generation and mobilize another generation. They're lonely at home because it was all about their ministry and who they are and what they're doing. But God is challenging the church. He's saying, come on, it's time to stand up. I just said, stand up. (laughs) Still don't obey. Come on, I said, it's time to stand up. (laughs) And stand out. Come on, stand up and stand out. We're not gonna miss the mark. Come on, right now I believe God's mobilizing a community that is international 
We're here. God is moving. He's doing something, but He wants to take it to another level. He's looking for men and women. He's looking for younger people who say, God, I just want to get the testimony of older people in my life so that I can run my course. I won't miss it. I'll do what you've called me to do, but I believe that you're championing me for a cause. Just as we stand and we come to a close because we're going to be out of here in five minutes, I invite you to lift your hands right across this room. I want you to say these words, magnify. Let's not miss the mark. Let's declare in our spirit that we've got a mark to hit. We're not gonna miss our mark. We're not gonna fall short of the glory of God. We're not gonna fall short of what God's called us to. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare the Holy Spirit to come upon you that godly burdens will touch people's humanity. Burden of the lost. Burden of people that are deprived. Burdens of broken communities. Burdens of nations. Burdens of people where there's just brokenness and frailty. Right now in the name of Jesus, I speak, I declare out of, out of this conference of shout that people will go away because God's burdens are light. They're easy to bear, but they're real. They're real. But as we face it and as we look, as we face the burden, right now stand before the throne of grace. And so God, I can only do this with your grace. I can only do this right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, pastors in this room who've got an apostolic call on your life. You've got to call out for your nation. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. It's about the grace of God on your life. It's about God doing something supernatural. Younger men, catch something in your spirit. Catch something in your spirit. And in Jesus' name, I declare it. I declare your anointing. I declare a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Put a hunger in our heart to learn. Put a, put a desire in our heart. The conviction would grow that there would be something of your presence that would mobilize and take us to where you want us to be. In the name of Jesus. For some of you, if you're a first generation Christian, if the Lord Jesus tarries, may you see with your eyes another generation and another generation. When my mum was alive, we had the blessing. She died at 97. We had the blessing one day in the Auckland church where there were five generations, five generations in church. That does your heart good, amen? Come on, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. It's not just about you. It's about mobilizing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.
God bless you. Have a good day.